Well, good morning once again. Isn't it great to know we serve a risen Savior? Amen. To be reminded of that in a wonderful song. I'd like you to take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter number 4. Philippians chapter number 4. We're just going to look at one verse this morning. I think it's a very practical verse. I think it's a very uh, much needed verse to uh, dwell on. Philippians chapter 4. In verse number 8, if you're able, when you find your place, let's please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. Philippians chapter number 4, verse number 8, and the Word of God says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good Report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Let's pray. Lord God, once again we are bound before you, thanking you, Lord, that you have allowed us this day to come into your presence and among your people. Lord, to rest from our worldly activities, our daily goings-on, and that we can come together and just put our focus and our attention upon you. Lord God, we thank you this morning for your word. Lord, I pray that through the preaching of your word this morning, that, uh, Lord, you be lifted up, that it's not me that people see this morning. Lord, hide me behind the cross of Jesus Christ. Lord, help me to preach as a dying man to dying people. Lord God, encourage us and equip us Lord God, convict us, and Lord God, challenge us, Lord, that if there, and if there's one among us that's lost, Father, convict their hearts. Lord, show them their need, their desperate need for a Savior. We ask these things in Jesus' name this morning. Amen. may be seated. This morning... I want to speak to you on the subject of the battle for the mind. I can remember growing up, it seems like every time you turned on TV, there was always these uh, commercials that uh, emphasized the mind. I can remember, and of course, you don't remember that, that famous commercial where the guy would stand there in the kitchen and he'd hold up an egg and he'd say, this is your brain. And then he'd crack the egg into a frying pan and then start frying and he'd say, and this is your brain on drugs. You can also remember that phrase, uh, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. There's a, a special emphasis that is put on the mind and the way that we think. Uh, you can uh, look and see how the, the world is always emphasizing and valuing education. Go to college and get a degree, and, and we've got all these colleges. And what happens when we go into college? And even in uh, elementary school and high school, we've got uh, educators that are uh, really, they're, they're not educated. They're just propagating some type of a worldview. Why? Because they know if they can get you in the mind, they know if they can change the way that you think, that the world has you. Satan has you. Your lusts and your, your passions will always be geared towards the ways of the world. 
The way that you think will always be skewed away from the Word of God so long as they can get a hold of your mind. This morning, I stand before you and I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is a battle for the mind taking place in the world today. And I want us to look at a few scriptures just to kind of show you the emphasis that, that is placed on the mind even in the scriptures. Uh, we'll just look at a few Beginning with the book of Mark. And these are going to be a mixture of both positive and negative aspects of the mind. So Mark chapter number 12 and verse number 30. Mark chapter 12 and verse number 30. This is speaking about worship coming from our Savior. He says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength, this is the first commandment. We can look again just a, another book or two later. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and the book of Luke, chapter number 8, and verse number 35. Luke, chapter 8, and verse number 35. This is after Jesus has uh, met this madman of Gadara. And uh, he's, he's been running around and, and doing all sorts of crazy things. And in verse number 35, it says, And they went out to see what was done and came to Jesus and found the man out of whom the devils were departed, sitting in, at the feet of Jesus, listen, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Prior to this, he was in a wrong state of mind. But now we see him in his right mind. Flip ahead to the book of Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter number 8 and verse number 7. Paul writes and he speaks about the carnal mind. He says in verse number 7 of Romans 8. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. The carnal mind. The fleshly mind. The unregenerate mind. Is the enemies of God. Book of Philippians, chapter 2, and verse number 5, Paul writes and he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So he's emphasizing a Christian mind. We've got a, we we're seeing differences about a carnal, fleshly mind, and then we see a Christian mind that is more geared towards God. And then one more verse to show the negative part of the mind in Titus chapter number 1. Titus chapter 1, verse number 15 says, Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. You see, there's this emphasis that is placed on the mind in Scripture. You've got the carnal mind and you've got the Christian mind. And sometimes if we're not careful, we'll be getting pulled towards our 
carnal mind coming back. We'll be getting pulled towards that uh, away from the Christian mindset and be getting pulled towards the, the way the devil and the ways of the world would have us to think. There's a battle for the mind for the uh, enemy knows that if they can change our minds that they can change our testimony and corrupt the witness that we as a church and individual Christians have for Jesus Christ. There's a battle for the mind. And folks, this is a battle that we need to be standing up and fighting against daily. So as we look at our text this morning, there's three things I want us to notice. Number one, we're going to look at the character of the audience. Number two, we're going to look at the content of our thought. And then number three, we're going to look at the command to do these things. Number one, the character of the audience. As the Apostle Paul writes, he's writing to the Philippians. And in the book of Philippians, the uh, theme throughout this book, the word that you'll see over and over again, is that of joy. He wants the Christians, he wants the people that he's writing to, this church at Philippi, he wants them to be joyous. He wants them to be filled with joy. And by the way, remember, joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit. So to be filled with joy is to be filled with the Spirit. That is his emphasis. He says, I want you to be filled with the Spirit of God. He wants us to be joyous. He doesn't want us to be downcast and, and downtrodden about the way uh, our life is going. He wants us to be joyous. And one of the ways in which he is emphasizing joy in the life of the Christian is to have a mind change towards the ways of life and the ways of the world. So when he writes to him, he's writing to him and he says, finally, brethren. And I like that word brethren. It, it speaks of a, a family intimacy. I, I remember... I heard Dr. Johnny Hunt of First Baptist Church of Woodstock, Georgia. He 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 made this statement. He he said, whenever you're reading the Bible and see the word brethren, he said he said it's always good to remember that when he speaks of the brethren, he said this is something for the family. He's this is something for the family of God to to take into consideration. So he says, finally, brethren. And that's when it, gets, it goes into the what sort of things are true and uh, honest and just and pure and lovely, of good report, virtuous, praiseworthy. He says, finally, brethren, he wants them to know that this is a family concern, that there's a familiar intimacy when he addresses these people. It, a family speaks of one that has the, the same concerns and struggles. You've heard it said before, where uh, you, maybe you've heard it said about your family. You mess with one uh, family member, you mess with us all. You don't mess with family. Family, whenever they get into to struggles and trials, it's not just one person going through it. It's everybody going through it. So when we are, as the church, are going through struggles and trials, it's not just one member going through it. It's the entirety of the body that's going through this. And so Paul writes and he says, finally, brethren, remember these things, dwell on these things. He, Paul is saying, when he says addresses his brethren, he is saying, I go through the same struggles and trials that you go through. In fact, look in the book of Romans chapter number 7. As Paul addresses this uh, battle with the flesh and with the uh, between the flesh and the spirit, and Romans chapter seven, verse number fifteen, Paul writes and he says, "For that which I do, I allow not; for what I would, that do I not; but what I hate, that do I." 
If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, uh, for the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that doeth, do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. What is Paul saying? He is saying, in a sense, he says I struggle with the same temptations and sins that everybody else does. You think the apostle? You say sitting there. You say to yourself, the apostle Paul struggles with sin. Yes, he struggled with sin. He says in uh, the book of Acts, in chapter number fourteen. As the people of the city were coming out to uh, to worship him. He says in verse number 15, and saying, sirs, why do ye these things? He says, we also are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein. He struggled with the same passions. He men of like passions with you. He struggled with this sin. And so Paul in Romans 7 is confessing that he is a sinner and he has sin dwelling within him. So when he has uh, confessing that he has sin dwelling within him, folks, it is good to know that we are in good company, that we are not the only ones that struggle daily with sin in our lives. Paul even did it. We all struggle with sin. And, and, and by the way, if you're sitting there and you say to yourself, there's, there's no sin within me. Can I say that John and his epistle first and first John says that if you say you are without sin, you are a liar and the truth is not in you? We all struggle with sin and we struggle with temptation. Uh, so when we think about that, it's not that we struggle with sin that, that makes us uh, uh, godly or righteous or unrighteous. It's how we handle Sin that we struggle with. Do we give in to sin and temptation? Or do we fight it as a warrior on a battlefield fighting against sin? We stand as Christians and we fight. And that's what Paul is writing about when he writes to the Philippians. We all struggle with sin. And uh, sin when it begins, of course, in the heart. But then it leads to the mind. Nobody's ever committed adultery without what? First thinking about it. Nobody's ever robbed anything without first thinking about it. Plotting. Seeing how they can get away with these things. There's a mindset that goes in to sin. And Paul in writing is calling the church to action to stand firm against sin and temptation. So the character of the audience, he's not writing to ungodly, immoral people. He's writing to a church that has been saved by the grace of God, calling them to stand fast against temptation. And so the character of the audience is just that, Christians. It's something that isn't meant for the world to hear. It's meant for us and the church to hear. So number two brings us 
to the content of our thoughts. So if we as Christians are to have a certain mindset, what kind of thoughts are we to have? Paul describes the way that we're to have these thoughts in the following verses. He says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, these are the things that we're to be dwelling on and thinking on. So let's break this down a little bit. He mentions the word true. He says, whatsoever things are true. The word true here speaks of something that is authentic and reliable. Which when I think about that, two things come to mind that are authentic and reliable. Number one is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For he says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to God but by him. If you want to know what truth is, you look to Jesus Christ. He is the one true God. He is the one true Messiah. He is the one that we can put our hope and our trust in. Why? Because he is authentic and he is reliable. And if he promises salvation through him and him alone, we can be assured that he means what he says. He is truth. And in him is no darkness. In him is no lie. He is our true Savior. And we know that because the Word of God, which is also true, tells us. John 17, 17, Jesus cries out to the Father as he's praying. He says, uh, speaking of uh, the disciples, he says, sanctify them by thy truth. And then what does he say after that? He says, thy word is true so when paul writes he says what sort of things are true he he's speaking of jesus he's speaking of the word of god and all the things that that do not contradict he says whatever you find in the word of god you can honestly dwell on and and rest assured that it is true if we're to be uh have a godly mindset like paul is saying he says we need to be focusing on things that are true and i don't know of anything truer in this life than jesus christ and his word then he also follows it up with those things that are honest the word honest speaks of something that is honorable or or noble it speaks of something that's elevated majestic it deserves reverence It's used in Acts chapter number 6, verse number 3, to describe the the deacons of the early church. He says, finally, uh, Paul, uh, uh, the apostles tell the church, he says, seek out you seven men of of, uh, honest rapport. Something that is to be revered. Think on these things. Noble, elevated. I thought about this as I was studying that word and thinking about that word honest. You know, we often think about honest as, you know, tell the truth. You know, your, your kids, they, 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 they do something and, and you're trying to figure out what they've done. And so you, you ask them, well, did you do this? And, and uh, of course, they might shake their head no because they don't want to get in trouble. And so you might say to them, be honest about it. Really, what we're saying is we're not saying be truthful. We are saying that to a point, but there's something deeper than truth in that. You're saying, look, be something above everybody else. When everybody else is lying, you need to be above that and you need to be honest. You need to be above those things. You need to be honorable, somebody that can be revered in this life. Don't go in with the crowd, but be above the crowd. He says, whatsoever things are just. 
The word just here uh, means to conforming exactly to the laws, or in this case, God's laws and principles and social conduct. In other words, it speaks of a righteous living. He says, whatever things are, are, are righteous, whatever things are good, just that are in conformity with the laws of God. He says, think on these things. Wherever things are pure, he says. Wherever things are pure, the word pure means clean. It, it, it's the, the same root word that we would get our word holy and saint from. Wherever is clean, wherever is holy. And we might contrast that with uh, whatever is filthy that's in this world. You see, it means to be free from defilement of sin or improper views or be free from uh, improper words or phrases. Be pure. In other words, be holy. Be set apart. We contrast that with the world. The world claims to have some type of morals, but their morals are skewed, aren't they? The same Hollywood that was just a little while back talking about the uh, the the stuff that that Hugh Hefner did for society and and how that you know they were all lifting him up for for pornography and praising the things that he had done to uh, I don't, elevate women I guess I don't know but they were saying he did a lot of good stuff he was a good man look what he did. And so they, they point out all the, the, the good things that he did, but yet turn around and condemn these Hollywood producers for following the same footsteps that he was doing. Now, what's wrong with that? I'll tell you what's wrong with it. The world has a perverted view of morality and purity. But we are called to be chaste, to be pure, free from sin, free from uh, defilement. First Peter chapter one. Verse number twenty-two says, Seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Psalm 24, verse 3, David writes, he says, Who shall ascend to the hill of the Most High? He that has a pure, hand, pure heart and clean hands. Purity. Then he also addresses those things that are lovely in our text. The word lovely means possessing qualities which uh, invite affection. It means pleasing to the eye, attractive. And when we think about that, it's not attractive as we might think of a, a lustful type of attractiveness. It, I'll give you an example of this. Ann and I, we were out at uh, Lowe's and Home Depot and things yesterday, and uh, we were trying to give some color to our house. And so we were looking at plants, and I, for the life of me, I don't know why. Neither one of us have a green thumb, um, but uh, it's it more like a black thumb. Anything we plant is just going to die. Um, but we, but we're, we're trying. We're going to try. And so we were out, we were just looking at some different plants and flowers. She wants to hang some uh, some flowers around the, uh, the edge of our house. And so we were, we'd be out looking, and uh, she, she'd see one thing, and, uh, and we'd look at it, and 
while we were looking at it, something else more would catch my eye. And I love the color blue, especially like a royal uh, blue. And uh, so just out of the corner of my eye, I, I saw it and I went, ooh, and because I'm ADD and I just kind of wandered over to it. And well, what, why? Because that blue was attractive to me. So when we speak of the things that are attractive, it's, it's a, an attractiveness in a, the purest sense of the word. Not as in a lustful type of attractiveness, but in something that is lovely, something that is pure and, and beautiful. And we are to be drawn to it. And Paul writes, he says, think on these things. He addresses these things which are of good report, highly regarded in character. Speaks of these things that are, are virtuous. If there's any virtue, it speaks of, of somebody that is noble. Also, it speaks of, he says, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, which is commendable. You know, we come in and we sing songs where we're lifting up praise to God. We're commending worth towards God, praising him for who he is. If there's anything that's praiseworthy, he says, think on these things. This is to be the thought process of the Christian. This is to be the mindset of the, the, uh, the Christian mind. That we're to think and we're to dwell on these things. And I could sit here and give you a whole list of things to, uh, to do, but yet I, I couldn't do that because it would, might be according to my standard. And, and my standard might not always be your standard or the Word of God's standard. And I don't want to add to the Word of God, but I'm just going to say whatever these things are, that's what we need to be doing. If you want to know, get into the Word of God and say, you know, I, should I listen to this? Should I listen to that? Well, think to yourself, ask yourself, is it praiseworthy? Is it commendable? Is it honest? Is it truthful? Is it clean? Is it pure? These are the things that we need to be focused on. When we decide on our entertainment, when we decide on uh, the words that we use and expressions that we use, this is to be the content of the Christian thought. And then lastly, we see the command to do these things. He says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure and lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise. He says, think on these things. The word think means to recollect or to call to mind. It means to believe and esteem. It's to have the mind occupied with. It's to be a constant thinking about these things you say well that sounds hard to do and you know what you're right that is hard to do we live in a world where everywhere we go we've got uh the the uh the lustfulness and the passions and the 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 sinfulness of the world drawing us in every which way and it is a constant battle to keep our hearts and our minds pure and focused on god and, and the characteristics that he has described in his word But just because these things are hard doesn't mean they we shouldn't be doing them. Got two kids in school. Got one. I'll be glad when he gets them to school. <laughs> Save us some money on babysitters. <laughs> but they'll be doing these things. I can remember when uh, Alyssa, she's two years uh, younger than Adam and uh, so Adam was able to read a little bit better. They both can read great. Don't get me wrong, but she would be she was trying to read something that Adam was trying to read. He's you know a few grades higher than she is, and and she couldn't. She was struggling. She was getting upset. 
And she, and she was saying, I just can't do this. I can't read it. And so we had to encourage her and say, look, just because you can't do it now doesn't mean you won't be able to do it in the future. What did we say? And what did we tell her? Keep practicing. Keep trying. Amen. You see, it might be hard to, to focus continually on things that are true and honest and uh, pure and just and a good report and all these things. It might be hard, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't keep trying and keep doing it because the more that we do it, the more that we try it, the more that we intake scripture, uh, the more that we intake good things, bad things come out just like that that bucket of dirty water. Take a bucket of dirty water and you, and you start getting a, a fresh, clean uh, hose and, and put it down in there and that water will will be uh, start to circulate that bucket of dirty water and pretty soon that mud and filth that's in the bottom will start to come out and then you'll have uh, more clean water than you will have bad water. So the more that we take in, the more good things we take in, the more bad things we can suppress and overcome. In closing, I want to give you a few verses of scripture in Philippians, I'm sorry, Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter number 4 and verse number 23. It says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Look back at Psalm 101. Verse number 2 and 3 it says, I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. May this, these two verses that I've just read, may they be our goal. That will set no wicked thing before our that will keep ourselves with a pure heart by focusing on the true and pure things of God. All this talk about the mind. Paul writes one more thing about the mind that I want to share in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse number 2. He says, And be not conformed. To this world. Well, how do you how are you not to be conformed to this world? He tells you, he says, be transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind. Some of us today might need to get our thoughts realigned with the Word of God. Some of us today might need to realize that the way that we uh uh, think and the way that we uh, let our thoughts come out of our minds. Maybe we need to be changing up some ways of life and ways of thinking. We say, why should we do these things? Paul wrote, he said that be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Look what it says. That you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Prior to that, verse number one, he says that ye present your bodies a living 
sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Then he comes in, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word service in verse number one means worship. Our lives, not just on Sundays, not just on Wednesday nights, but our lives are to be a constant act of worship. If that means sacrificing our minds and our ways of thought on the altar for the glory of God, then so be it. Is it tough to let these things go? Yes, but listen, Jesus Christ gave his all. Jesus Christ gave his all on the cross to deliver us from sin. And, and here we are going back into sin, trampling underfoot the sacrifice of Christ. God help us if that describes us. When Jesus Christ came and he died for our sins, he died for everything. He died for the sins of the world. To deliver us from the punishment of our sins, the power of sin. Sin should have no hold on the Christian. By the grace of God, we are overcomers. John writes, he says, we can overcome the world. And how can we overcome the world? Through Jesus Christ, because he overcame the world. He overcame death. And as the Spirit of God that lives within us. So let's live for Him. Because He died for us. Stand to our feet. We'll have our final hymn of response. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this day of worship. And we thank You for Your Word. May we take it now and apply it. Lord God, apply it to our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's broadcast. I hope you're able to join us again next time with Rick Clark Ministries.